Mother of Children, go inside. Momos, on stage. Harry, Sasquatch, not science. Wonka, dreamer of dreams. Jimmy, pants wet. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, where we rewatch TNG, a show we loved when we were younger, and now reengage episode by episode to see if it holds up to older eyes. This week, we reengage with season five, episode two, Darmok. Let's say hello to our reengage bridge crew, Miss Kate. How you do? I do especially well after that opening. Thank you. Uh, I'm pleased to be here for one of my uh, favorite episodes, actually. I'm, I am pleased. Eric, how you do? I do great, Jimmy. <laughs> I can't wait to talk <laughs> about the joys and, uh, and incredible uh, feelings that uh, the performances of Paul Winfield have caused this, uh, this actor his whole career. And I'm excited to get into one of the best episodes of Trek ever. Hi, everybody. Greg? Cheney, when the walls fell. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, we're at start date 45047.2, which is the week of September 30th, 1991. Greg, Bible at Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we got a couple of interesting tidbits today on September 26, 1991, the two-year experimental facility in Oracle, Arizona, commonly known as Biosphere 2, opened with several folks on board. They were enclosed in that biosphere for two whole years, releasing in uh, 1993, September 27th, and uh, we all know this made us learn so many things, including what a fantastic actor Brendan Fraser is. <laughs> Facts. Uh, the, the only other thing uh, was on September 27th, a couple of days before this aired, President Bush uh, with the Defense Secretary Dick Cheney um, stopped there around the clock B-52 bombers on alert, ready to drop atom bombs on the Soviet Union policy. There's still B-52 bombers. They're still out there. They can still spin up within 24 hours, but they are not uh, having a bomber crew ready to go at a moment's notice with a big red button, uh, Dr. Strangelove style, as of this date, which I found. Wow. Oh, that seems a bit old, like long, uh, but they were correctly predicting that the Soviet Union was going to fall apart and there was not as much of a existential cold war threat uh, around that and so all of that practice we had underneath uh school desks for the decades uh leading up to this was for naught um duck but that's... and cover <laughs> duck and cover exactly uh but that's all i got uh happening in the history realm 
All right, Kate, Andy in the soup. <laughs> in the music world, number one was Good Vibrations by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, featuring Lolietta Holloway with that fantastic, It's such a good vibration. It's such a sweet sensation. Only good part of the song. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the other good part number, of the song. <laughs> number one in the movies was the remarkable The Fisher King, which Ooh. I have not seen for many, many years and saw way too young, uh, but remember viscerally um, this movie. Uh, and on the television front, Square One TV returned for its fourth season on PBS. Do y'all remember Square One TV? I love they had... Square One. Yes, thank you, Greg. Yeah. I attribute Square One TV to a lot of my sense of humor mm -hmm. and my style of acting because it was basically a way to get kids to learn about math using sketch comedy. And they had sketches including General Mathipatol. Late afternoon with David Numberman. I love Loopy, the Funny Mooners, and Math Court. And oh, I absolutely, you know, attribute part of my success in math to that because I can't remember numbers, but I can remember funny. They also had, a, I think, a math math net, which was like a dragnet. Uh, oh yes, dun dun dun. dun. Yeah, and that, that wow, yeah. so good. I remembered it, and it was it was almost like a Mulder and Scully uh, type of duo uh, in on, in MathNet, and I remember that as being like, huh, maybe that's why I like the X Files so much was because of Square One <laughs> Television. And that's all that was happening in pop culture at this uh, moment. Oh, there's no uh, lead out there. Okay. Da -da 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 -da. There we go. <laughs> All right, we have a uh, writer. Timba, his arms wide. <laughs> <laughs> we have director uh, Winrick Colby and writers. Uh, we have this teleplay by Joe Minoski, story by Philip Lasbinick, and also Joe Minoski. Uh, and then from the uh, Nemesic Files, this episode was in the think tank longer than any other episode during Michael Pillar's tenure. That was uh, entirely because of the complexity of the language barrier. Um, uh, we learned that Data, it's 26 years since he left Starfleet, uh, during which time he has met some 1,754 different races, and that is a shit ton of DEI courses. Uh, the Phase Beast was a poor man's version of the Terminator 2 baddie. Uh, the effect took shooting against a blue screen on fast video, then developed on film 10 stops over the exposure. It also uh, involved going from tape to film and back to tape, all of which sounds like Tamarian to me. <laughs> uh, we see the Magellan shuttle in this episode, which finally gave uh, the franchise um, a miniature that matched the full size, uh, the full scale set. Um, so we no longer had the cramped shuttle where you could see the back of the wall directly behind the actor's head, <laughs> uh, like the early days of Zoom. Um, <laughs> and kick rocks, nerds. There is a blooper in this episode. Um, the phaser fire is seen erupting from the forward 
photon torpedo launcher. Which is incorrect. Oh, that is no. all from the Nemesic files. I hate this episode. Eric! Sean Penn and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> I understand almost none of your references, but I love them. Um, <laughs> it's a generational That thing, surprises probably. me. <laughs> um... <clears throat> Paul Winfield this is all we're going to talk about. We're, I mean, we, we should mention the extraordinary woodenness of Ashley Judd and then move right on from it, uh, being very <laughs> grateful for some of the performances like Bug that she gave later on and was lucky to receive any further casting consideration in any goddamn thing after this <laughs> wonderfully wooden performance. Uh, brief, briefly and wonderfully short, though it was. But Paul Winfield, <laughs> a few of his hundred and the, the, the uh, credits um, include things like the police station when the Terminator came, mm. zombies mm. in between him and Pullman. Um, he was a genre hero, not just for the Terminator and uh, the Serpent and the Rainbow, which I've just referenced, but also Star Trek Part Two, where he first died to save a captain that was white. Um, it's <laughs> so, something of a of a. Series oh right, he was the guy with Chekhov, things. right? Yes. Uh, yes. It's the first of a series of of uh, roles in which his character was sacrificed uh, to protect the white hero, which is something he talked about often. And even in this episode, uh, about 10 years after, not long before he died, he was quoted as saying, I died so the white man could live. Uh, he was very aware of the limits placed upon him by the industry in which he worked. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say he's one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, he started out in sitcoms with Diane Carroll. And uh, when we were uh, kids not too older than this, not too much older than this, he finished out his sitcom career by and large as a regular on 227, which I know we all loved mm. and adored. Um, you know, Sounder, he was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, he was an Emmy winner uh, as a guest star. Um, he was recurring on things like L.A. Law. But it's, it's largely his, his presence um, as an authority figure that, that we remember most. An, an awful lot of cops, an awful lot of fathers, an awful lot of um, military men throughout. And this episode in particular is my favorite guest star uh, in Star Trek history. And I'm not alone. It's, it's one of the most popular episodes that's certainly... Uh, in the minds of uh, my fellow Gen Xers on this panel and off. Um, <laughs> I would say that the performance in particular, uh, we love the script, we love the concept, but I, I think it's not sold without the, the nonverbal stuff that he pulls off while covered in layer after layer after layer of restrictive makeup. And the, the, the looks that he gives Picard and the exasperation while staying cheerful like it's so hard what he pulls off in this and and the kind of ease with which we can follow his um subtext is is just incredible uh, kind of right from the beginning and and he masks it when he needs to uh in those first uh scenes uh 
when the two ships are communicating with each other and he has to put down the law with his uh, second in command and he, you know, it's just, uh, we'll talk so much more about his performance, but Paul Winfield's one of the greats to have ever done it and uh, it's such a joy to be able to kind of uh, pull apart one of his stereotypically brilliant performances in this. So let's get to it. Yes, let's get to it. We open with Picard in his action jacket. I love it. <laughs> Looks like a, a retconned Patagonia light puffer. Um, Data has some twitchy thumbs. Eric, what's up with that? What's the subroutine here? Well, I'd say it's he can't wait uh, because when he meets his 1,075th um, different mm. species, he does get a set of steak dimes. Because <laughs> he's a closer. All right. So uh, we're in our meeting room. We get a meet, uh, th they bring up the children of Tomac, which is going to be uh, the center of this episode. Um, and the scene ends there after they talk about the, the children and how nobody has been able to communicate with them with uh, almost giddy Picard at the prospect of being able to be the first to actually um, break through and communicate. What did you guys think about this opening? Um, any takeaways, Greg? Uh, his bra Picard's bravado here is so cute. It is just like, <laughs> oh, buddy, you have no idea what you're going to experience in the next hour. Uh, it is wonderful to behold, uh, especially in hindsight, right? Like us knowing how uh, how challenging, and it's like the next scene he gets it completely thrown in his face. Uh, but it's it's really neat to be like, hey, I think we've got all of the patience and compassion coming out of our uh, yes. ears. <laughs> it's going to be so easy. You guys got this. We got an android. Uh, I think it's going to work. <laughs> oh, sweet summer child. All right, then we cut to actually meeting the Darmok for the first time. Uh, neither party can understand what the other is saying. Uh, Kate, what did you think about this initial meeting and uh, the way in particular the actors handled, uh, especially on the Darmok side, um, using these metaphors as a means of communication? Yeah, as someone who speaks in metaphor often, I love this episode <laughs> because when you're with friends, right, there are certain shortcuts and passphrases that you can use that everyone just sort of gets and understands, right? Uh, like Jimmy, his pants wet. That is a brilliant <laughs> opening because we all understand that. Uh, oh, so Sean there's Penn something. Was a guest star on Friends. Yes. yes. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome, Eric. Welcome to Light Engage on Marblehead. <laughs> uh, but I love the. We've already sort of mentioned it, but the juxtaposition between uh, the conversation between the two captains, and then the aside that we see yes. between the the first in command on that ship, and just how. But also how clearly he wins that argument, right? He, we have no idea what's happening, but he says something that the other, that his first officer sort of goes, yeah, no, fair enough. You know, like, I get it. Or at least I'll back down because I have no, you know, no footing here. Uh, but I just, I love it. I, I live for it. Everyone trying their best. Um, yeah. 
I think it's really vital that we get that internal conversation between the two, uh, the first officer and the captain. I think that's really interesting, even, you know, as they're trying to dissect the communication, uh, Troy and Data later on, right? They have to go back here. And I think we as the audience get so much subtext from that that uh, you can extrapolate out. And I just love that it's so consistent um, and stays within it in winter. <laughs> right. And there's, um, I think, there's a nice layer here of watching it for the first time, not understanding what's going on, then having seen it and then at least going back and watching it or rethinking about the scene. And and then you, you start to see it come to life in a whole new way. And not just from the way the script is written and developed, but the way the actors did it. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, wow, there's... Uh, there's true communication going on here, even though I don't understand it, which makes me understand the Enterprise crew and their frustration. Like it was just a lovely beginning um, in a nice circle when you when I'm thinking back on it. Uh, and this scene, and I had several others that I'll bring up. I got goose pimples at watching what the actors were doing, especially as Eric has uh, already brought up. Paul Winfield many times did my body just tingle with, wow, he nailed that. That was uh, 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 folios, volumes of information in that glance, that chuckle. Uh, just really lovely stuff uh, happening. Um, so we, we, um, the scene ends. Oh, yes, Eric, uh, Greg. I was just going to say, I didn't think about this until you were mentioning that, but it, it, it's very akin, and it's even called back in uh, Shakespeare as well as Gilgamesh in this episode. But, like, if you hadn't been watching Shakespeare a lot recently and you go to a show, there is that moment of, like, I don't know what the fuck any of these people are saying. I mm. don't get it. But I get, I get the body language. I get the message. And it's usually, at least, you know, for most of us, by the end of that show that we're watching, the cadences make sense. You start to understand the nuances of the line. You get the jokes of the poetry within it. But that first scene is usually pretty rough. At least it is for me when I'm, when I'm first doing it. And I think that is in microcosm what happens over this entire episode, right? Where it's like confusion, confusion, confusion. Then it dawns. And it's like, it's so great to see uh, uh, someone like Patrick Stewart as Picard grapple with that because you're like you should know you should know all these things that they're saying and uh you know he gets it over time it's re it's really beautiful go ahead eric i i just wanted to say too because jimmy had brought it up that i thought very actively about how we'll never have the chance to see this episode for the first time again and mm. like it was really nice as i'm sure as a young person to watch this for the first time and and grapple along with picard but as, as Jimmy said too, it's awful nice to be able to just watch the, the uh, craft uh, unfolding before you when you know the, the twist and the, the, the outcome. Uh, because there, I mean, there's almost no plot to this. You can summarize the plot in two seconds. And so what you're left with is character and it's just delightful. All right. Yeah, so the scene ends with um, the two captains being beamed down to the planet, which, again, the Enterprise is very easy to take control of or break into. Uh, they need to have a total redesign of their computer systems. Um, and then after the, the, well, the, uh, the were down. captains, Dathan and Picard are um, on the planet. It's a very, very short scene with zero dialogue. Captain Dathan holds two daggers up, one in each hand, like a victory sign. 
He doesn't seem threatening at all, but still, what the F is happening? Um, it's thrilling. You have no idea what's going on. Um, takeaways from that. Eric, what did, what did you get? Uh, well, how did that impact you? I, I think it's so difficult to quickly and aggressively draw two daggers, vaguely <laughs> point them at someone, and not be threatening. And he, I mean, he's, he's, he makes me giddy. I watched this guy and, and knowing so much about his career too, he can be an incredibly intimidating person. He can do anything. And so watching him display joy in the unknown, like, you know, he knows that the captain can't quite understand him. He's not sure how to break through that, but he is the one with patience and he is the one with compassion. And it is just delightful right from the first moment. I think it's a yeah, great... Yeah, and I... Yeah, go ahead, Greg. I was just say, I just think it's a great contrast, too, of, like, you know, uh, spaceships and, 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 and science-y type stuff to have it be viscerally in, a, a, you know, shot in a, in a, a clearly a, a, a real location on Earth. Um, that, I think, was also really effective because it goes from, like, you know, the our, our hard science to you know, a, an environment that feels really true to us. I really like that. Plus, I think this is really where the Patagonia jacket uh, shines. It looks really good <laughs> yeah. in, in daylight. <laughs> you can tell it's a multi-season yeah. jacket there. Yeah. Even though yeah. I, I, that mock turtleneck has got to be stifling in that I, California I think it's heat. a bitch much, yeah, with the jacket and the mock turtleneck <laughs> in their different colors. <laughs> like, that wasn't a great and choice, it, but, you know. It might be space-age materials that, that breathe really well, so we don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we uh, after that, we cut away into the uh, opening credits, um, and when we come back, we get some nice Trekno babble explaining why the Enterprise cannot get Picard back. Um, uh, uh, and then on the planet, we get more allegories from Dathan, uh, and at this point, I'm thinking, how long can I listen to this before it starts to wear on me? And the question is, uh, infinitely, <laughs> it turns out. Uh, what about you guys? The Trekno Babble. I don't remember if this is Ashley Judd at the at the first bit of the Trekno Babble or not. But uh, I kind of enjoyed hearing why they can't break through. Yet, uh, you know, another reason how the Enterprise, the flagship, is stalled in some way and <laughs> not being able to help out. Um, but uh, was that Ashley in that first scene, or she comes later with uh, Jordy? She comes later with. Jordy. I had the same thought. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that's why I enjoy the Chuck Babble there. Um, <laughs> but now we're at the beginning. So this is our really, we've had the one scene where we first meet um, the Tamarians. Uh, and we, we see the exchange between Dathan and his number one, where, you know, he really emphasizes what he's going to do. Uh, and now we have Picard and Dathan. And Dathan's really trying to start this you know off and explain and picard seems really kind of standoffish like and he's afraid like what is this all about uh kate what was your takeaway in that that initial scene between the the two captains yeah well i think it's interesting in that previous scene Worf says i think it's a battle to test champions <laughs> Yes, which yeah, like is such Gorn. a Klingon thing to think, but I feel like Picard also is on that same yep. wavelength, right? Which is why he's sort of standoffish that he thinks, you know, because there's that great moment where he's 
talking in, in his metaphor and in his allegory, and then he throws one of the daggers at Picard, right? Which is a <laughs> anytime anyone throws a dagger, you pay attention. Just a friendly game of monkey right? <laughs> right. There's that beautiful moment where Picard throws it back and Dathan just leaves looking so sad and yet doesn't go far, right? I love that. Like he he leaves and I was like, oh, I don't remember that them being separated so quickly. But he just, he knows that Picard's going to need some time. So I'm just going to take a couple steps back, you know, and then I'll try it again. I just think this is... Uh, this episode was a favorite of mine when I saw it. And in college, I had a communications professor mm. who taught mm. this episode. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, well, this is perfect segue then. Shaka, when the walls fell. Kate, you're our universal translator. Oh. What did Dathan just say? Shaka, when the walls fell was to me a, a like a... a we have failed. Mm. Mm. Yep. Sorrow. I can see that. I think yeah, it's also like and, sadness and sorrow. Uh, you know, because it comes up several times, I also think it's a we got to get together or we'll lose. I, I, I think it's moving forward, too. Like when the walls fall, mm. you really need to band together or you're fucked. So this disappointment that we can't band together yet, I, I think is also part of it. But it's like without Paul Winfield being the one to do it, there aren't layers to things like that. So, like, it's so cool. Um, I think he probably meant all of the things we're saying. It's cool that there's like the, these little metaphor key phrases, I think, mean different things based on, on uh, uh, you know, the emotional language that they're giving out there, too, which I find really fascinating. Right. That even in the which was the one, the uh, uh, Timba Arms Wide you know it's like does that yeah. mean give or does it mean take or does it mean both depending on well the context let's not uh have. get ahead of ourselves sorry that's a question <laughs> we're gonna ask very soon exactly um and i think uh i just based on on this exchange that they have here that uh this is a great read uh misdirection by the writer because i think wharf saying that there is uh that this is champions fighting each other and then Picard having that is is yeah, that's what we would assume as the audience watching this for the first time, right? And it goes takes us along with it, even though those two scenes aren't aren't um, you know they're not informing each other directly by the characters talking to each other, but we as the audience are the through line there, and that's why we had that kind of misdirection. I think it's that's a really wonderful way of screen uh, of 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 telling it through the writing and then how it changes throughout it. I also say that, uh, at least the early ones, but I think all the way through, there's a real feeling to me of Old Testament shit with all of the metaphors. Like, uh, mm -hmm. those kinds of things, uh, to me, bring up uh, kind of that ancient kind of history. And it's neat because we do talk about mythology later when it goes through. And I love that they choose, instead of that mythology, they go back even further uh, when they're talking about yes. the Earth stories. Um, but... It's it's neat that it could mean so many different things, but I think of you know Shaka when the walls fell. I think of you know David. <laughs> you know I think of the that that type mm. of uh, um, I don't know uh, decisive moment in in history. It's it's clearly uh, important when walls fall. <laughs> that's that's a big fucking moment in any uh, you know history. Sorry, go ahead. 
Why am I apologizing? Fuck it, I'm on this panel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one of the things that struck me in this scene uh, was because of the way uh, Paul Winfield handled the language and how brilliant his reactions, especially when he says, um, Shaka, when the walls fell, and there's that sense of disappointment, and he walks away, or however you want to interpret it, if it was sadness or whatever, I wish they would have had, uh, you know, either zoomed in on Patrick Stewart, who obviously listens to the other actor and doesn't just predetermine, this is how I'm going to say my line and behave, and take that in, because there seemed to be an, a de-escalation of threat, or at least, a change of why is he this other person who I was afraid of? He's acting differently. He's, he doesn't seem to be aggressive, and um, and I that might have been tipping the the hat, but Paul gives us these things that can't be ignored, especially when you're watching it because the camera's on it. And we see he's like there's something different here about his behavior, um, and I don't. It's not a criticism. It's just I'm curious as to why they didn't go down that road a little bit. It's limitations. Um, anyways, to me, it's limitations. To me, it's limitations of uh, screen. Like it, to do that, you you take away from you take away from Winfield to look at, at Picard. You know, on stage, the audience can look at both at the same time in a way. You know, it's just a, a a different kind of. But I agree. I mean, you got two masters of nonverbal acting. You want to be able to see what they're doing. Yeah. I just want to give a kudos to both the prosthetic creator uh, for this look on their face and and Paul Winfield being able to act so well with those things on his face. Like, I yes. know that's not easy, especially in the hot sun that they were filming this, I assume, in the middle of July in, in <laughs> yeah. Southern California. Uh, and it is just a, a, a master class in both the, the, the yeah. prosthetics and the acting coming through. The only thing bad about the costume was the finger condoms on Paul Winfield's. <laughs> <laughs> Those are terrible, but yeah, the facial was great. It's Eric? worth mentioning that they had two days on that set outside. Yeah. Yeah. Below in the canyons, below the Hollywood sign. Yeah. Wow. Just oh, two days. Really? Yeah. That's right where I shot my movie. Ooh. All right, uh, back aboard the Enterprise, Riker's going to Riker, by which I mean gamble with other people's lives. <laughs> uh, he orders Worf to take a shuttle down to the planet. Uh, and it's, uh, we're let, uh, we are told that uh, the Temerians have uh, very easily can shoot down that, <laughs> that shuttle. He's like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a very different thing, he says, from like blocking our transporters to shooting a, a, a shuttlecraft. You're like, okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's going all in with Worf's life. I was sure that we were going Shoot to see a crude death because I was yes. like, well, we've never seen that person before. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, uh, and just before that, though, uh, uh, though Dathan's number one tries to communicate with no luck, uh, and he angrily says, Shinza! Eric, it's your turn. Please translate Shinza for us. Well, Shinza is really two words. It's Shin and Za. And uh, <laughs> when you hit your shin into something really hard, what you need is pizza to make you feel a little bit better. <laughs> and so he's, he's asking for a quick break so he can uh, have some pepperoni um, healing. <laughs> Perfect. How do they 
order pizza, these Tamarians. They, they, <laughs> they can't. Is there a different passphrase for each type of one? Dinner where my mouth burns. <laughs> right. uh, back on the planet, we learned there's at least one thing Picard isn't good at, and that's making fire. Picard can't start a fire. Uh, but Dathan is a pro at it. Um, he's got his going pretty easily. Uh, and the scene ends with him offering some fire. Uh, and we do get a small breakthrough with this with Timba, his arms wide. Does that mean fire or something else? We don't know. But what about this scene, Kate? I Again, this is where we find out that he hasn't gone far, right? When he disappeared right. frustrated. So there's and and there's this welcoming sight of in the distance there is the fire and it's warm and there's Picard in the cold and the dark, right? And he's in the dark in multiple ways. <laughs> and we have this m- moment uh, where he th- uh, he he gets frustrated that the alien he throws some runes of some kind and then he takes one of the blades and lays down which i think is interesting he and he turns his back to picard which is to me the most trusting of i'm going to turn my back i'm only taking one of these knives one of them is for you should you need it and here's this fire and when he realizes that picard isn't like easing on over he's like fine and then throws him, you know, a literal stick of fire. Uh, <laughs> and and Picard figures out, you know, it's... I, I think Arms Wide Open is generosity or, or to, to give some, something freely. Right. I don't know. I just love it. It's one of the phrases that they actually... They sort of break they down. They sort of break down, to yeah. Kind of get to know it. Um, he says, Timba is arms wide. Picard sees the fire and Picard pieces for us what, you know, Timba's arms wide is some kind of offering. Um, He says it back. He takes the fire and the scene ends with a little smile from Dathan. And this is one of the first, you know, I get these goose pimples even thinking about it again because it's like, he knows, like, there's this, this moment of him understanding. And then again, that circling back, we know that Dathan planned this. We know he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to him, or but he knows there's danger. And yet in that, there's still this smile of, finally, our people have a, a, the tiniest, the s- smallest slither of hope that communication to another people might happen. Yeah. Uh, Eric. Well, I, I mean, this episode nicely breaks down what I, what I think of as just the God level of craft when it comes to acting. I, you know, the, the beginner actors think of subtext as being communicating to the audience what they are thinking. Uh, the Tom Cruise type stuff. You always, always know what he is thinking. And it's a, it's a very well-crafted performance most of the time. But, like, when he's lying, you know it uh, because that's what the script tells you. It's, it's like Shakespeare. They, they say, I'm going to lie. And then the next person they meet, they tell a lie. And uh, the audience knows the whole time that that's what's going on. But Paul Winfield has unlocked that complex next level thing that I think all actors strive for, which is the fact that acting is a magic trick. You want the audience to be unsure of where you're going until you get there. But 
to be interested enough to follow you where you take them. And that is what Paul Winfield does. We don't know what this smile is. We know we're comforted by it. We don't know what he's thinking. We know that there is an emotion of progress, but we, we do not know the actual words he is thinking underneath the actions. And that is super important if you want to give a nuanced, interesting performance. And uh, this is such a great example of it. You know, we, we don't need to know what he means to, to know what is going on, uh, both with the plot and that we are in good hands moving forward. Um, it's just, yeah, that smile for me too, Jimmy. I was just like, oh God, it's such a joy to watch this. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, all right, back in space. Uh, Worf doesn't get very far, but uh, Riker and Dathan's number one do move a little close to understanding one another. Uh, and that comes in the form of the Temerians crippling uh, the shuttle in such a way to ensure that nobody on board is hurt, but it can't move forward. Uh, which the crew pieces together is like, they could have blown it up, but they didn't. And it seems very purposeful. Uh, so... We, we learned that the Temerians are passive-aggressive aggressors, which means they're likely from Seattle. <laughs> and then Riker says, text with the nice shooting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's picking up on the metaphor talk. Venkman in the ballroom. <laughs> ah, yes. Well done. Well done, sir. Um, so then we have a meeting, uh, Riker and the crew discuss, um, what can be done, uh, to break through this shield, uh, and also what will not be done, um, which is attacking them out of hand, which is of course what Worf is like, let's just blow them up. <laughs> Problem solved. If that ship's not uh, there, it won't have the field anymore. It's, uh, right, next right. level stuff. And Riker's like, we're not going to do that yet. <laughs> and there's a funny little moment where uh, I believe Worf almost has his arms crossed. And then he like just throws his hands up like, mm, yes, of course. <laughs> um, any thoughts on those two C's? Yes, Kate. Uh, I love that he puts Data and uh, Deanna together. Because putting the Betazoid and the Android together, I was like, come and knock on a door. <laughs> like, there's some offshoot where we just watch those two attack things from an emotional and lo logical perspective for the rest of their lives. Uh, but also, it makes a lot of sense because you're looking at a new language and there is a certain amount of um, emotion and, and intuition that's assigned to that. And then there's the logical breakdown of, okay, can we figure out the verbs and the adverbs and where are the pronouns? And <laughs> it's actually a, a genius pairing. Yeah. Riker is uh, nothing if not good at um, human resources. <laughs> <laughs> Matchmaking. <laughs> Uh, all right, back on the planet, we find Picard rummaging through uh, Dathan's things in hopes of finding some kind of clue, um, which he believes he does when he gets a hold of uh, a little book, which we'll talk about here in, in just a minute. Um, and then we get to see that perfect pairing as we go back to the ship of Data and Troy trying to translate some Temerian. Uh, and then um, they get a little thread to pull on uh, when they find Chantrill 
cross-reference in a couple different uh, codexes, um, which once again proves that they are uh, Pacific Northwesterners because uh, chanterelles grow right here <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest. Delicious mushroom. Um, I thought this was a lot of fun, um, how they went through a bunch of different languages and and they didn't immediately stumble on the answer, but, you know, in the window that they need because it's a 45 minutes with commercial episode, they find this one word that helps them piece together uh, the beginning of an understanding. Eric. I also wanted to mention that quietly uh, the captain gets up and doesn't wake up Picard when he does so. He's off searching and doing the thing. Mm. By, by the time Picard comes, he's the, the place is empty, the fire's out. Like, it's just neat how capable this this confident kind uh alien is as well like uh i i found that to be mm -hmm. really neat yeah agreed the one thing i thought was odd about uh the location it, it seemed that picard had to walk further to get to his camp than it looked like it was the night before mm. um, i noted but, that yeah. <laughs> he moved the fire as the night went on <laughs> um, but going back to the Data and Troy scene, I like their nonverbal reaction to the computer voice being like, it is this. And then the com you know computer voice pauses and they're both like, oh, we got it. And then it's like, and it's also this. And it's also this. And you can just see oh, right. their shaka when the walls fell disappointment. Uh, of <laughs> like, oh, it's nice. There's too many search things came up, um, but it is Troy having that 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 inspiration of like, oh wait, that was referenced in two of these lists. Let's cross reference, and then they're like, it's this metaphor of a of a uh, of of a hunter in this planet, and I love that that is what we need also to kind of unlock what's happening with Picard and the captain. It's a great way for right. the audience to know both sides. Right, which is a good segue back on the planet. Uh, Picard is sure that Dathan's book is a captain's log because if you've seen him one, you've seen them all. <laughs> um, and just as he makes his realization, Dathan races back into camp screaming, Darmok, at G -log, uh, Darmok and G-Log at Tanagra. Picard gets a little pissy about not wanting to fight, but then we hear something that sounds dangerous, giant, and hungry. Nathan repeats, Darmok and G-Log at Tanagra. Greg, you're up. Translate, please. Stop looking Darmok. at my books. We got to fight together, bro. <laughs> Take Very my specific. knife. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a um, feeling of, I've I think, set this again, up. There's a feeling of uh, not just expectation and danger, but here we go, man. I did this for yeah, a while. Yes. Yes. Exactly what I have written down. Uh, Winfield does a great job to let us know there. He, it's clear there's a plan here. Yeah. Uh, and now it's starting to come together. And he's excited. So when he was off, he wasn't like going to look for berries. He was off trying to coax this beast that he knew was native to this planet over to where they were so that he could have the Darmok and G-Log at Tanagra moment. Eric. Are you saying that he's really saying Hannibal when he lights a cigar? <laughs> oh, I don't know when he likes this car. I love a good plan when it comes together. <laughs> I love a plan. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Thank you, Kate. A team. Oh, I was. I immediately went to Silence of the Lamb. So I was oh. trying to think of. <laughs> 
I should have said something that, that, said that context. Hannibal. But yes, A team, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Yes, that's a that's right hitting the nail on the head. Um, all right, so the plan is coming together. Uh, I, if you guys have any takeaways, please jump in. I thought again, Winfield just knocks it out of the park here. Um, uh, we know something. He's he's had something in his head, and now if I hadn't seen it the first time, I'd be like, "What is this guy doing?" Because um, it seems so purposeful. Uh, uh, and then we get Timba, his arms wide, and the moment is, you bet your ass I'll take that dagger. <laughs> um, the rock's falling. This is classic don't show if you don't have to uh, monster. We just hear it. It sounds fierce. Rocks are falling, so we know it's coming. Eric, uh, what did you think about the composition of this scene and, and the buildup to our monster reveal? I mean, I think it starts with kind of an adorable throwback to the original series, like when the rocks are falling and that kind of shit earlier on. Like it, it screams the the yeah. the episode where uh, where Kirk is down on the planet. Yeah, you know, uh, Gorn. The only the only difference is he, they don't show the rubber monster once it shows up. It's it's <laughs> right. it's half Predator, half Terminator. <laughs> Uh, but you right. know the the buildup is really nice. Uh, all right, so back on the ship, um, the Enterprise is alerted that something's happening. They know that the two captains are in danger. Uh, Jordy, the kind of has a plan to maybe get Picard off the planet, but he is not at all confident that it's going to work. In fact, he thinks it's most likely going to fail. Riker says, "Do it anyways," <laughs> um, and then. Yeah, it came. I just want to say it's the perfect, uh, perfect way of ex or perfect example of somebody like stating out loud, like I am being asked to do this, and for the record, it's not going to work. I would like to say that again on record. This is me, Jordy LaForge, saying this is probably not going to work. Did everyone get that? <laughs> And this is so when they actually attempt it, right? There's the talking uh, between uh, Ashley Judd's character and uh, Miles O'Brien, and they're all saying things. I don't. I wasn't even really paying attention because what's beautiful about this is that Picard says, "No, no, I don't want to be beamed up right now because they're in the middle of everything happening." And you actually, as the audience, no. don't want them to succeed. It's the first time I think where all this techno babble is happening, where you're like, "No, stop! Pull the plug! Don't do it!" And it's <laughs> it's just this weird dramatic tension. I don't even care what they're talking about as far as the tachyon beams and the blah blah blahs and the whatever. It's just more of the "No, not right now" moment. It's it's delicious. And I think to your point, Jimmy, when you when you said, you know, why couldn't it have been blasters or something like that? There's something about the knives that, first of all, you throw someone a blaster or, you know, a phaser or something that they're going to be like, oh, all right, fuck you. <laughs> you know, where, whereas you have to get in close to, to get that shot with the dagger. So there's that. But there's also you have to work together to make this work. And that's the what the metaphor is about, right? The metaphor is entirely like I do this and you do this. And unless we both do this together, this will not work. And those are the weapons that ensure that that kind of teamwork is essential to its success. Yeah. Canon. And it, it really <laughs> seems 
like a direct response to what it would be if the Klingons had a dagger on their chest, every one of them. Do you know that that, that yes. is an aggressive statement? And these guys, it's almost a, it's almost iconography. It's to remind themselves of good things and cooperation. And, uh, you know, that that's such a interesting icon to choose for that, a, a dagger, a, a weapon, but it's also a tool. Like, you know, it's, yeah, anyway, it's, it's so cool. <laughs> it, it shows that they took so long to think through it. Yeah, th- thanks for bringing it up, both of you, because uh, I hadn't thought about that until after Kate and, and, and Eric uh, highlighted it, the, the, the daggers that every crew member has right there mm-hmm. on their chest, which can say so many things. Like maybe it is just an icon- iconography that isn't violent or aggressive, that is a reminder of something peaceful or coming together because they always take it out and they do that very ceremonial mm-hmm. gesture with touching it and then touching in their forehead. Um, but, you know, it's one of those little things where a, a, a little piece that isn't highlighted Gives, does some world building uh so well done on the that part of the costume uh <laughs> back on the planet we get to see uh some kind of phase beast uh that is stalking dathan and picard uh and again we get a nice little moment here from winfield where dathan thinks picard is starting to understand the whole reason they're on this planet uh and i got a little bit of goose pimples at that um and then we go back to what i think now is the the wooden moment that eric uh totally did not appreciate uh which is a bunch more trekno babble um it looks like they're setting up for the big save there's some blinking light patterns that o'brien says he can understand yet the lights don't change at all but he confirms that he does in fact <laughs> see a change which is confusing to me um and then we get this great line um and this was my biggest uh goose pimple moment sutek his eyes uncovered um Picard has pieced it together he says the metaphor the way you want a great Shakespearean actor to say it grand it's metaphor I understand um and that one was a great moment it wasn't though uh it, it, it wasn't Patrick Stewart that gave me the goosebumps it was absolutely when uh Paul Winfield Sutek his eyes uncovered like I felt Dathan's relief, his 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 profound joy of not under the the moment of maybe we won't die because we can work together, but maybe our people can talk to one another, and we have been starved for conversation outside of our own kind for thousands of years. Like it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's just like this is just wonderful. The exultation of that line, uh, how it's delivered, is uh, goose pimple worthy, for sure. And there's something about uh, uncovered that's so enigmatic, that's so, um, it's not, you know, that someone is waking, you know, like, waking up would be a metaphor that could, but it's, it's, it's that you were unable to see because of cultural differences and because of preconceived notions and things. And then there's a moment of it's your decision to uncover your eyes, right? Because suddenly Mm -hmm. you see in that moment. It's very different. Yeah. I thought that too, because you could also say like eyes wide open, 
but eyes wide open is similar to the Timba's, uh, you know, wide open, right? And uncovered is very different. It's like being blind and then choosing not to be blind anymore. Uh, yeah, loved it. Um, and then uh, we, we we see the phase beast. Uh, it's kicking both the captain's asses. Um, and the big save is started here. This is what Greg had alluded to just a few moments ago. Um, they get a lock on the captain, but not uh, a complete lock. So he's sort of phasing in between Enterprise and what's happening on the planet. Um, so he's helpless watching Dathan, uh, getting beaten to death. And this was our first sort of kind of look at the monster, right? So Greg, what monster would this be in D and D? This would totally be like a, a demon or a devil, uh, type of thing, right? With the phasing and being able to, to travel from different planes, uh, definitely got the screeching and the claws and, uh, the magic of, uh, how it is appearing? Uh, yeah, I would go. I would go with an extra planar enemy. Eric, the first time we see the phase stuff, it looks to me like it's got two legs, and the next time it looks to me like it's got four. And I don't know if that's just something that I didn't notice, or a camera angle, or what, or if it's uh, a shapeshifter as well, which is where I tend to go with it, rather than give myself the blame for having mis uh, misidentified it at first. Uh, but it seems like to grow and shift even behind the, the special effect, which I thought was really neat. It's a centaur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so there's a lot of tension here, right? Like Picard, the, the, we just had a breakthrough um, with them. Picard really coming to understand uh, the beginning of understanding anyways. Uh, and he's knows he needs to help this guy that he's not an enemy. Um, and now he can't help him. He has to watch helplessly and like you know greg had said it's the first time where you want jordy to fail uh and quickly because yeah and quickly <laughs> and it's that that wonderful tension you get when you know like you just want it to be done you're like i just stop fail get it over with so i can go help um uh it, it's just the the tension was delicious in, in that moment um and then we get uh he, he just break in. The, finally, um, Picard gets out. Uh, he rushes over and Shaka when the walls fell. Uh, Picard finishes the line um, and uh, Dathan dies. And he... he uh, or at least, or at least goes, not yet. goes unconscious. But it looks not like yet. It. Oh, no, that's right. He doesn't die. He, 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 he has his evening for that. And we have a nice moment with that later. Uh, but... We do get Shaka when the walls fell and Picard finishing that line. So again, a little bit further along in that understanding of uh, what was happening between the two. Um, uh, back aboard the ship, Riker sends Jordy and Worf to prepare for a last resort attack on the Temerian ship. Uh, and Data and Troy uh, try to explain how the Temerians think and talk. So this is really where it's broken down for us that you know it's not just that they speak in metaphors it's that they actually think in metaphors as well and that is a particularly uh difficult barrier to jump through because 
we have no reference points of it. And, and um, Crusher has a nice little comparison. It's like if we said Juliet on her balcony, uh, if you had never read Shakespeare, you just wouldn't have any reference as to what that means. Um, and that, for me, got my head spinning. I was like, oh, because, you know, like it, the, the sci-fi trope now is every every species speaks math. You have to, or you wouldn't be able to do things, to build things. But what if you can do math, but you don't think that way? You think in metaphor, so your math is thought of in a different way. It's not a number. It's also a metaphor. Uh, it, it makes this wonderful barrier that's not just trechnobabble, uh, but also like it had me thinking, like, well, how do you say go fix the phase generator <laughs> like does that have to be a metaphor like all these little things eric talking about math as metaphor and cultural thing it's it's really fascinating because the history of math in the in the on earth is full of that shit like one of the reasons mm. that the eastern uh countries and, and countries with East, what we call now eastern philosophies uh had such advanced math when when the western world did not is that the western world had no real concept of zero and nothingness um, whereas in the East, that was not something that went against the concept of Christianity, do you know? So in the East, you, you discover things like algebra and trigonometry before you do in the West. Um, <clears throat> and and that's, that's just a basis in fact. Like the, the idea of zero was even legislated against, <laughs> you know, in Rome. So like you can't get into advanced math without that. Uh, and it, because of the metaphor of what we think of God is everywhere, we can't think of the idea of nothingness. Um, the is is truly a, a cultural problem with our math, <laughs> and like uh, bringing that up really kind of takes me in a bunch of different ways with this. I hadn't really considered that until you started talking about that. That's neat. Uh, uh, yeah. So back on the planet, um, we have this really lovely. Uh, final scene between our two captains. Um, they really do kind of finish that bridge of understanding. Um, and and Picard, at uh, Dathan's behest, or at least his understanding of what he thinks Dathan wants, starts telling his own story using metaphors of Earth. This seems to satisfy Dathan. It seems to bring him joy that... There's a familiar tone, even though he doesn't understand the words, there, there's a comfort in the, the tone of language being used uh, to communicate. Um, and Dathan dies in perfect unison to Picard's story ending. And boy, did the goose pimples just take over. Mm. Uh, it just rippled up my body. Um, and it was Dathan's resigned joy. Mm -hmm. As you know, the life was leaving him and there was success of some sort. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows at least one person from another world and himself, one person from his world have made contact yeah. and it was beautiful. It was great. It was great. And I didn't even think about this until you were talking, Jimmy, about that comfort he was feeling in Picard telling the story of Gilgamesh was probably similar to uh, parents and children of this culture. How else would you learn these metaphors? You would learn them by the parents telling these stories and using their emphatic voices when they're telling them to 
to uh, code the emotionality and the way they think in their brain right there. So there was that that moment of like, oh, I remember this from my childhood. My my father, uh, uh, this captain might have heard uh, tell stories in a similar way. Uh, Around very a beautiful moment there. Yeah. Around a campfire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one note though, uh, Picard lies here. He says he's not a very good storyteller. Uh, we know that is false. He is right. a very good director of Shakespearean uh, things for Data, so he's got he's got storytelling in his bones. Right. I love I love the struggle that he has to stay alive, but how determined he is to see it through until that moment that there's all of these where he's getting tired and you see that it's any moment now uh, and Picard is worried about him and he brushes him off with the, you know, uh, Kate sprained ankle, sixth grade. Like, it's fine. It sucks, but I'll be fine. Uh, and then and then it is in that moment where he knows that he has found whatever success that he has or that he could you know, have it that 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 he releases himself to that and i just i i did cry like i just it's it's beautiful uh back aboard the enterprise uh uh riker attacks a tamarian ship saving picard just before he gets the big hug from the phase beast um, and what I thought was a really nice bit of writing, uh, the Temerians aren't pushovers. They counterattack, uh, and they cripple the Enterprise, and they destroy the Enterprise's shield, and they're about to fuck up the Enterprise just before Picard makes it onto the bridge uh, to um, you know, make that first communication and let them know uh, he speaks their speak. Eric? I, I was really grateful for that. Because kind of the entire time, even though it's clearly a technically superior ship and it's much larger and it has these capabilities that they do not, they still cast these uh, aliens in the idea of the noble savage. Like the storytelling is I'm Gilgamesh and you're the weirdo who comes out of the, the forest uh, and... <clears throat> isn't quite as capable a warrior as Gilgamesh, isn't quite as urbane as Gilgamesh, isn't quite as, you know, all these things. It's the it's the noble savage trope over and over. And I think that's part of what um, uh, years later, even Paul Winfield is, is suggesting in, in kind of his looking back at the episode. <clears throat> but the fact mm. that they could have destroyed the Enterprise any fucking time they wanted to is important. Like, and it's not... Yeah through belligerence that they could have done it or surprise that they could have done it. They just know more shit than you. And it's really neat that that is something that, that hits home there right before Picard comes in. I, I think without that, I'd like the episode a lot less. Agreed. Yeah. And I wish I'd see a lot more of this race in the Star Trek universe because uh, they seem like, a race that would be a great ally, especially when you get into little rifts with the Borg, the Klingon, the Romulans, the Kardashians, uh, you know, any number of aggressive species. Like these guys might be who you want <laughs> helping you out because um, they can fight. Right. 
And uh, all you got to do to sign a treaty at this point is just say, you know, Darmok and Jalad uh, at Tanagra. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you think? Sign uh-huh. on the dotted uh-huh. line. Uh, and there were some more goose pimples there when um, uh, Picard is explaining what happened on the planet. And the the first officer receives it. We know that he knows his captain is dead, but just like with um, Dathan and Paul Winfield, the actor also has that, he takes it in, he's like, there's tragedy, but there's also this great opportunity now. And our captain's plan was perfect, and he has Bacard and Dathan at L, whatever the planet was. Holy shit. And we get to see the birth of a whole new mythos. This phrase is now canon, and it's just absolutely wonderful to be witness to it, like to 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 be able to see that episode of the first time is like, oh wow, that's gonna be a thing. That's gonna be on shirts. That'll be at you know conventions. Like, this is a, a a word, you know, a little phrase. It's not just something you hear about um, in exposition. It you know to be a part of it unfolding was really wonderful, Eric. And then to finish it up with uh, his arms wide as keep the knife. You know, it just a, a little mm. piece yes. of of using our language to seal the deal. We know that you understand this. You know that we understand you. Keep the knife. You know. It, it, oh, yeah. Oh. And and that yeah. being the first thing that we that we saw the connection, right? Like that was yeah. the first phrase that Picard got too. Yeah. Like I think that callback there yeah. is is really genius by the writing. Oh, the script. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, so um, Picard, um, he says, I don't know if we have new friends, but at least we don't have new enemies. While holding nice, a, um, a very shiny knife. That, that <laughs> plastic <laughs> is shiny. Nice, yes. Uh, and then the, the episode ends with uh, Picard offering a Temerian salute to uh, Dathan um, as we, you know, zoom out and see him at the window. Um, Greg, uh, thoughts on these last two scenes and then, uh, give us your rating and your final thoughts on the episode as a whole. I will say I loved this ending shot, right? We, we kind of went over that moment where the captain Dathan was, was putting down his things on the planet and doing those, those three fingers to the forehead uh, and Picard was watching the ritual and Dathan was watching him watch the ritual. I thought, I thought that was a really great non- verbal communication that was happening there and it's called back here at the end when he does that salute um and dude i just love any type of scene that has that window shot right i think the last time we saw that with picard was after uh his borg incident right where something that affected him so deeply he wasn't sure if he was gonna heal ever um and i i don't think he's gonna heal from this either like i think we get that same sense of like there was a momentous event in picard's life uh, that occurred in this episode and that pullback moment from um, the observation of from his ready room. It's just, it's just great. It's just great. Um, as far as final thoughts and ratings, I'm going to give this nine and a half shakas uh, falling from the walls uh, and the imagery that that particular metaphor came uh, was, was wonderful. Uh, I love uh, how Eric mentioned that this is not going back to any kind of, even Greek myths or Roman myths or or you know, Christian myths, he, Picard was telling the story of Gilgamesh, the oldest uh, surviving literary work uh, on our planet, 
uh, it's wonderful that that is the the story and and how it was an inspiration for uh, the the writers and creators of this episode going forward. It is one of those episodes that is used in as Kate mentioned in in uh, communication classes. Uh, it is something that gets at the heart of storytelling and why it's important for us as humans. Uh, the myths that we tell each other, the stories that have lasted for centuries are important to us on a, on a kind of visceral level. And I think the emotional connection that many of us have when we watch this episode is a, is a testament to that, right? And it's used in the saying that Star Trek is not just, you know, uh, genre fair. It's not something that you can easily dismiss. It is the myths of our time and uh it's great to see it and experience it with y'all so i'm going to give it nine and a half because it is a just a, a wonderful story not even like a good star trek story it's just a wonderful story in our culture eric i give it 10 paul warfields it's one of my all-time favorite episodes of any television show ever um I, I think the performance is unbelievable. I, I think, you know, you can go back and watch any of his performances I've talked about, but he also very famously played a dynamic, interesting, multi-layered Martin Luther King at a time when even now the industry and, and the powers that be in this country would like to think of him only as an inspirational speaker uh, when the, the depths were so much deeper. Uh, and that's the kind of performance he gave every time out of the gate. Um, I, you know, uh, it's interesting, you know, Gilgamesh was having a moment then. He, he had just joined the Avengers in the comic books. <laughs> like, uh, the early <laughs> 90s had a, a real resurgence of, of the Gilgamesh uh, mythos in the United States. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know what else I can say about it. I just give it a 10. It's wonderful. I'm going to go probably watch The Terminator later because he has such a, a pivotal role in that one too. Like him and Lance Henriksen as the cops are just so fantastic and we never really talk about them. We talk about Michael Bean and we talk about Linda Hamilton and I think we probably even talk about Rick Rosevich more in, in that movie because he's so ridiculous. Uh, but <laughs> Paul Warfield is so brilliant in it. Um, that's all I got. Just 10 Paul Warfields. All right, Kate. I'm giving this 10 arms wide open. Uh, this is just yeah. hands down one of my favorite episodes, maybe of television, um, not just not just Star Trek. Um, I just, as a communications major, uh, I'm fascinated by language. I'm fascinated by metaphor i'm fascinated you know as an actor with how we communicate with one another how it is that we can get things across i'm so well aware of the fact that when you are with those that you love the most words you know complete sentences become unnecessary and you speak in metaphor it's all old movie quotes and that that time we went and did that one thing and suddenly you know three hours have passed and you've had worlds of conversation that anyone on the outside would never understand a moment of uh and there's something so beautiful about a language that is based entirely on metaphor and and allegory and what that brings to a very binary worldview 
uh, that we have sort of with science, that it's ones and zeros and it either is or it isn't. And this is that nebulous, um, artistic, uh, intellectual, you know, movement that crashes up against that and seeing those two worlds collide and that moment of its metaphor on the planet and that look that Paul gives is this episode to me. Um, I just, I just think it's stellar all around. I think it's a fantastic script and I think you're absolutely right. Eric had, had that actor not been in that role, it would have been, wow, what a neat concept that was instead of, Oh my God, what an amazing experience that was. Done now. Uh, I agree with both Eric and Kate. I'm going to give it 10 Jimmy with goose pimples. <laughs> um, and for that reason, uh, I couldn't give it any less because any form of art, anything you interact with that makes you feel, that gives you a positive emotional reaction is exactly why you sh should be engaging in art in the first place um i, I couldn't it, no matter what criticisms may or may not come up from it um it, it is not an overrated episode as as some uh, out in the interwebs have posited um Screw at least not for me because um <laughs> i cannot overrate something that made me feel the way this episode did uh, and it doesn't matter what I felt. It's that I felt that it 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 activated the the uh, enzymes in me, the the <laughs> the uh, the positive stuff that makes you feel and get tingly and warm. Um, it made me feel that way, not only watching it, but during this podcast, as I talked about it, those emotions came alive again. And man, if I could do that once for anybody, I would be a very happy person and they did this for not only me but other members on this panel and i'm sure other trekkies who have watched this so this is absolutely an episode you need to put in uh in your lineup if you're a trek fan because not only is it powerful but it does what sci-fi is supposed to do it doesn't have to be lasers and photons and spaceships it can be human experiences within the context of those things that make us see who we are or more importantly who we should be uh, and that is fighting to understand each other at whatever cost that is um so powerful for me. Uh, I love this episode and what uh, Paul did, especially. Uh, and re-engage. Our pants are wet. <laughs> Jimmy, his enzymes tingling. Enzymes. I couldn't think of uh, the word I wanted. The you know when you the thing yes. that releases from hormones. Is that what you're Not doing? hormones. The the thing that makes you feel happy. Dopamine. Yeah, the serotonins and the and the, the serotonin. Yeah, so and the wetness whatever. of your pants. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Reengage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. 
You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at gregtito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage. <laughs>